good morning, church. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Hey, before we dive in the message, I want to remind us one more time before it comes up that this coming Wednesday is our night of prayer. This is going to be another one of those special nights for us as a church where we set aside a really specific time to come together, to gather together, and to pray together. This is one of those times where, again, like I said last week, if in this world full of plastic, fake, artificial things, if you want to experience something real and the true, most real thing you could ever experience, have a real encounter with a real God, then this Wednesday, I believe, is where that's going to happen. I would love for you to be here. I'd love for you to bring somebody. And those of you who are like, hey, I'm already planning on coming, here's what I would maybe invite you to do as well. When we ask God to show up and to move on our behalf and we ask God to answer these prayers, one of the things that that motivates God into seeing the sincerity of our heart is that we prepare our hearts to enter into moments like that. And again, it's not us bending or doing certain things to be able to try to get God on our side, but it's us saying, Father, we take you and your word seriously and what we're depending on is you. And so what I would ask for you, if you're planning on coming that Wednesday night is, is whether it's that Wednesday or Tuesday or Monday, do something that prepares your heart for that night. I was talking to somebody um, yesterday or yeah, uh, day before yesterday, and one of the things they were talking about was like, I, I'm going to fast uh, and, and be able to fast that Wednesday before I show up and ask God to move on my behalf. I'm going to show that, God, you are truly what I'm dependent on. You are truly what I need. And I love that idea, and I love to see our church prepare our hearts, not just show up, but prepare our hearts so that when I, I believe the Holy Spirit does what he's going to do in that night, our hearts were ready to receive whatever he gives. So uh, that night is obviously one that is full, um, full wide open door to anybody in our community who would love to come in and be able to pray with us, whether they're from a different church or another church, whatever. That's a night where we want to gather together to pray specifically for each other. This is hopefully be a night where you can be prayed for, where somebody, brother, sister in Christ, can put a hand on your shoulder, pray over you, pray over your family, pray over the marriages of our church and continue to see God move here amongst us. So that is this Wednesday, seven o'clock. If you need childcare, we have that available. So don't let anything keep you from being here. Uh, one of the things I hope happens at that night is really the word that I want to talk to you guys about today. We're going to take a little uh, sidebar, not really a break or not really a stop, but kind of a sidebar directly out of the book of Hebrews. And today we're going to talk about fellowship. All right. Now, again, we're in the South, so it's not fellowship, it's fellowship. All right. So let's say it like Southerners are supposed to say it. One, two, three. Fellowship. All right. Amen. You guys got it. All right. The reason we're going here is because if I was to sum up what we talked about last week in verses 24 and 25 of chapter 10 in the book of Hebrews, I think what it is encapsulating is this idea and concept of Christian fellowship. And it's talking about what Christian fellowship is actually supposed to look like. Let's recap, remind ourselves of what in the world we're talking about. If you've got a Bible, go to the book of Hebrews, go to chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Go to verse 19. 10, 19, we'll go down to 25. Y'all there? All right, the fellowship has arrived. Let's go. Hebrews chapter 10, 19 through 25. 24 and 25 are gonna be our key verses, but pay attention to all of it. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near 
with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider, that's the third one. This is our primary thing that's shooting us into this conversation on fellowship, verse 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's camp out on these two verses real quick. He says, let us consider, so use your mind to think about ways to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. There's importance in the meeting. We leaned into this a lot last week, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of son. Don't make it a habit of not being here, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now we know that this right here, this 24 and 25 is the third let us in this let us passage of 19 through 25. The first thing he said is what? What was the first let us? Draw near, way to go guys. What was the second let us? Hold fast, all right? So he says, let us draw near, let us hold fast, and then let us consider how we can spur up one another. Now I want you to see how these things work together synergistically. If you look at this passage here, where he says, Consider how to stir up one another. Don't give up meeting together. Be encouraging to each other. The way that we get to this is by doing the first two. We draw near to Jesus. And again, we talked about that at length. What that really means is, is understanding that Christ has already drawn near to us. He is in us, living through us, okay? And because of that, my goal, my hope now is to experience his nearness as my everyday walking, living, breathing reality of how near he is to me. And then I'm, I'm holding fast to the confession that he is my hope. My hope doesn't rely on what I can do on something that's out there. My hope is inside. My hope has drawn near to me and I'm drawing near to my hope because that's in Christ. The only way I will stir one another up, I will consider other people, I will uh, encourage somebody, I will not give up the meeting together of the body of Christ is if I have drawn near and if I am holding fast. Now, what he's saying here is proof positive that you have drawn near, proof positive that you are holding fast is that you are considering how to stir up one another. Proof positive that you have drawn near and you are holding fast is that you are not neglecting to meet together. Proof positive that you have drawn near and you are holding fast is that you are encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, along with that, once we begin to do these things, once we consider each other, spur each other on, encourage each other, don't give up meeting together, what happens is my ability to hold fast and my ability to realize how near Jesus is and to draw near to his nearness, those things go up exponentially. That's how it all works together in that synergy. Now, these two verses, what I believe they're really, if I had to put it in just one word, it would be that word fellowship. It would be that word of people coming together, marked by the blood of Christ, living, breathing, working together in this crazy thing that is the body of Christ. Now, I don't know what you think of when you hear the word fellowship, but I know what I think of. Like I think of potlucks, right? And it's hard for me to even think about fellowship without first thinking of two other F words, food and fun. And what comes next? 
Fellowship, y'all know it. Food, fun, fellowship. That's like every suit. Listen, I guarantee February, when the Super Bowl gets here, somebody's gonna throw a Super Bowl party and they're gonna post something about it. Come up, come to so-and-so some church so you can have food, fun, and fellowship. All right, and again, I found out where it is. That thing right out there is the fellowship hall. It's not a lobby, it's a fellowship hall, okay? So that's awesome. We got that going for us. But what is fellowship? What, what is this idea? What is this thing that we talk about that is Christian fellowship? Is it just a Christian word for hanging out? Like Christians, you know how we are. We like to give our own word to the culture's words. And the Christian word for hanging out together is fellowship. That's what we call it. Is that it? I think it might be something more. And I think the Bible makes that really clear. The first, in my opinion, one of the very first places that we see fellowship being exemplified in what the body of Christ is doing is in Acts. It's in Acts chapter two, verse 42. If you got a Bible, you can flip over there. If not, I'll, I'll show it to you here. What's happened up to this point is Jesus has already gone to the cross. He has been resurrected and he has shown up to his disciples and he's told them very explicitly, I'm getting ready to leave you. I'm gonna go to prepare a place for you. But what's gonna happen is I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is gonna be your guide and your helper in this life. It will be better if the Holy Spirit is inside you, all of you, y'all, then it would be if I was right beside you here as one individual. So he says, go and wait for me to send the Holy Spirit. And he does. On the day of Pentecost, sends the Holy Spirit. Um, amazing things happen during that day. Peter preaches the gospel. 3,000 people get baptized that day. That's not even counting women and children. That amount of people get baptized and the local church explodes right there in Jerusalem. And people start doing the things that church people do. They start living out what is this Christian fellowship. And in Acts 2.42, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So these are the guys who were the apostles, minus Judas, obviously, at this point. They're teaching. They're teaching this group of people. Peter has got through preaching his big one big sermon, teaching them those things. But I believe the rest of them are teaching them what they've learned from Jesus and how that connects all the way back to all the other scripture things that are there. So they're devoting themselves They're giving devotion to hearing the teaching. And then it says they're also devoted to fellowship. They're devoted to the breaking of bread and to prayer. These four things here mark what the local church was to be known by. Now, anytime we come to scripture, especially when we read stuff in the book of Acts, when we read stuff through the apostle Paul's letter, stuff in Hebrews, stuff that uh, Peter says or, or John says in first, second or third John, when you come to different things, you understand that they're writing to a group of people. There's a context for what that text is exemplifying. When you come to scripture, you need to ask two questions. If you want to take notes on this, it would be wise. Is this prescriptive or is this descriptive? Prescriptive things is where the pastor or the author of that passage is explaining things and he's saying this is what conduct in the body of Christ is to look like from this day forward. This is what Christian living is supposed to be like. That is prescripted. It is essentially the Holy Spirit using that author as a doctor to prescribe what his church should do. Other things are just descriptive. It's just the author describing what happened. All right, so perfect instance would be this verse here. This verse here saying, here's what the church was doing. The church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to prayer. And they devoted themselves to breaking of bread. Now, obviously, this is describing what actually happened. The question we've got to ask here is, is this prescriptive? 
which is another way of saying, is this something that we have to do now in 2023? That's prescribed to the local church. I would say unequivocally, yes. And, and the way you figure that out is you go back and you look at other passages of scripture that back up the fact and speak to the fact that this is something that shows up over and over again, that they're devoted to the apostles' teaching, that they're praying, that there's fellowship, that they're breaking of bread and there's prayer. And all throughout the epistles, all throughout the rest of the book of Acts, you see this show up over and over and over again. So that shows us this is something that is descriptive, telling what happened, but it's also prescriptive. Now, something that is just descriptive. There's this crazy story about this guy named Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch. And they show up and they're beside some water. Philip baptizes this guy after teaching him some stuff. And then Philip teleports. I'm not kidding. He legitimately just teleports. Boom. He's just not there anymore. And he ends up somewhere else. All right. The best that I can tell, that is just descriptive. <laughs> that is not the prescription for all baptisms that Jesus is cool with. Because I baptize a lot of people in my life, still haven't teleported. All right. <laughs> So I'm guessing that is just descriptive, all right? So, you know, I, even though Jesus, I would be really excited if you'd let me teleport, you know, somewhere cool, hopefully, like the beach. Um, that'd be awesome. So, okay, we're on the same page with that. So what this means is this idea of being devoted to fellowship is not an option if you are someone who says, I am part of the local church. I am someone who is a Christian. I am someone who is in Christ. What that means is fellowship and being devoted to fellowship is not an option for you. And to back away from or to refuse Christian fellowship is to live in sin. There, I said it, all right? So it's really important that we know what in the world this thing fellowship is. If to avoid fellowship is to be in sin. The Greek word for fellowship is this word koinonia. Can we say that together? You can say it slow if you have to. Koinonia, all right? And this word means partnership. This word means to share. This word means to, to have in common. If I was to give you a, a fancy kind of Christianish definition of it, I would say fellowship is a mutual cooperation in the worship of God, the will of God, and the work of God by the people of God. Now, this is where I think sometimes we may need to expand a little bit our definition of what we think of when we think of fellowship. Fellowship is not just us hanging out. Fellowship is not just what <laughs> happens in the fellowship hall or happens at your Super Bowl party. Fellowship, first and foremost, is actually the fellowship that we have with Jesus. Jesus, through what he does on the cross, through what he does by flinging wide the gate for us to be able to connect to God, he invites us into fellowship with the Father as individuals. Now, as we grow and experience that intimate, deep connection with the Father through the passage made by Jesus, we now enter into this place where it's not just about me experiencing my fellowship with God, but it's about me understanding that this fellowship between me and God is not just for me, it is for we, it's for all of us. And what we're not is just individual ornaments on the God Christmas tree who are disconnected from each other. We are all part, again, to go back to what we talked about last week, we are not an aggregation, we are a congregation. We are not a, a bag of marbles who if you just dump us out, we just scatter everywhere we go. We're more supposed to be, and Jesus told us this, we're supposed to be a bushel of grapes connected everyone to each other. So this idea of Christian fellowship is I believe so mission critical to the church. And I believe that because 
on the night before Jesus went to the cross, on the night before he is his going to give his life, the, the, the cross, the very thing that's a blazing center of the glory of God, the gospel, that night before he goes to be betrayed, he spends a good bit of time in prayer. And the things that Jesus prays for are really, really important. And again, he's Jesus. He could have prayed for whatever he wanted. He could pray for anything in the entire world. But I think there is a, a heavily misunderstood concept of when we look at Jesus and what he talked about and understanding that when he talked about it is just as important as what he talked about. And when he talked about the thing I'm getting ready to show you was when things were most critical. The night before he goes to pray, he is pouring his heart out to the father and he's not talking about God Matthew's super concerned with money and he's just really annoying sometimes because that's all he thinks about. And Peter, would you just please, he just, he cusses way too much. I don't know what, it, you know, like those are, he's not, he's not talking about any of that. I wanna show you what he talks about. This is kind of towards the end of one of his prayers. And he spent a lot of time praying specifically for the apostles because he knows how critical their testimony and their eyewitness testimony and them spreading the gospel is going to be to this mission getting off the ground. But then he's talking, he's talking to the father. He says, but I don't just ask for these only. He says, I'm not just praying for these, you know, 11 guys at this point, these guys who are right here. He says, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Now, if you're here today and you believe in Jesus, you believe in Jesus through the word of one of those apostles maybe even the apostle Paul. And so again, this is Jesus. He's calling the shot. He's saying, this is what's gonna happen. They're going to take this word and they're going to spread it. They're gonna give us these books of the Bible that we're gonna read 2000 years later and talk about and preach about and they're gonna open blind eyes and, and, and make people's hearts melt so that they receive this gospel. And he does all of this. He's continuing to pray. He says, they're gonna believe in me through their word because their word is gonna be my word that they may all be one. So Jesus, the night before he goes to be betrayed, he can pray for anything. He's praying that we would be one. And to make matters more huge, he says that we would be one, that they, or that they would be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Let's just pause for a second and take in the weight of those words right there. What Jesus just prayed for you and for me and us as a church is that we would have a unity that was exactly the same as the unity that God the Son has with God the Father. He prayed that me and you, our unity would be like his unity with his dad. Now we look around down here and, and we walked in and we did our thing and everything else. Did, did any of you feel as close to me as Jesus feels close to God? <laughs> no, all right? Some of you came in with your spouse. And if I ask that, do you feel as close to your spouse as Jesus does to God? You're still going, oh, we had a rough week, you know? Like, <laughs> but, but, but this is what he prayed for. He prayed that the church, we would be so one that it would be as if, that it would be the same type of oneness that the son has with the father. That they may all be one, just as you father are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. That is the only way that this oneness that we definitely want ever can happen. 
is we understand that first and foremost, I have to realize and understand that I am in Christ, that, that I have been invited into this inner circle that it is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I am now one with God that I've drawn near to him and he's drawn near to me. And because of that, now we can do this thing together. So that there's a reason. We're not just trying to get to this oneness so we can go like, okay, um, unity badge achieved. Everybody, don't mess it up. No, the reason we get our unity badge, the reason we get to this unity that is equivalent with the unity that Jesus has with the Father, so that the world, now these are people that are outside of this relationship, outside of this, so that the entire world may believe that you have sent me. What he does here in Jesus' prayer is he's telling us the contingency on an onlooking world receiving the gospel is them seeing unity in my bride, them seeing unity in my body. That's what he wants us to be known for. This is what's wild. And again, it's important for us to go and love uh, and care for you know, uh, catastrophic things that are happening around the world. It's important for us to go and do those things. But you know the real thing that Jesus tells us will make the world know the gospel is not the way we go and love and serve and care for the world. The way he says the world will know that the gospel is true is by the way we love who? Each other, us. That's scary. He goes on in this passage and he says, I want this to happen so that the glory that you have given me I have given to them and that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one. That's our goal. That's what fellowship points forward to, that we would become perfectly one. And the only way that happens, if we understand that the perfect one has drawn near to us, we're holding fast to him. And we encourage each other to let that perfect one make us perfectly one. So that, Again, he's go, he repeats himself again. So that, the whole reason this is happening is so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. This is what Jesus prayed the night before he went to the cross. And again, I think that timing is no coincidence. So he prays this, that we would be one, that the fellowship of believers would be real, that we would not just be people who go, I'm so united to God. It's just me and God and we, we're up in here and we're rocking and rolling and I love God so much and he loves me so much and that's it. Remember when we went through the book of Ephesians, especially when we hit Ephesians chapter three. Ephesians chapter three, the apostle Paul is talking to a church that is made up of about half Jews and half Gentiles. And he's trying to make sure they're not being racist to each other. And he tells them, you are now one. There is no more slave. There is no more free man. There is no more woman. There is no more child. There is no more Greek. There is no more Hebrew. He says, you are now one in Christ you have been reconciled to Jesus. And it's not just one way, vertical reconciliation. It is also horizontal reconciliation, which is his way of saying, because you are reconciled to God, you now need to understand that you are also reconciled to each other. And now these two realities, that I'm reconciled to God and I'm reconciled to my fellow man, they work in synergy and they accentuate each other. That the more I go out and I serve my fellow man, the way more I go out and I humble myself and care for and build deep relationships with people, the more that's gonna benefit my vertical relationship with God. In the same way, the more I pour out my heart to God, that I fast before God, that I read his word, it's going to affect in synergy my relationships with other people. 
And when we don't do one or the other, we become either a social justice warrior or a holy roller. And I think the world has plenty of both of those. Amen? All right, I don't wanna lead a church full of either of those. I want a cross-shaped congregation that realizes, man, we have been so reconciled to God and we are so reconciled to each other. And let's hold those two in balance. Now, in this room, here's, where, here's why this is hard. In this room, there's introverts. Introverts, raise your hand. See, they're all like, I don't want to. <laughs> and then there's extroverts. Woo! And you're, you're the people who are here, all right? And, and because we're introverts and extroverts, we exist between the paradigm of two spiritual disciplines, solitude and fellowship. Both are things that we have to do to grow in our relationship with Christ. We have to experience solitude. We see this in Jesus over and over again. You go through the gospels. He withdrew to the wilderness to pray and be with his father. Now, some of you, you're like, I love that Jesus. That's the one I want. <laughs> and then some of you don't read the next verse where he comes down the mountain, he ministers to 3000 people. You're like, that terrifies me. All right. Some of you, the reason you're here is because you're an extrovert. The reason you don't go to the first service is you're like, there's just not enough people there. And some of y'all, you're like, man, I'm gonna think about start going to the first service because it's starting to get crowded in here and I'm having to like wiggle and people ask me my name. And when Eric did that thing where he's like, hey, turn and tell somebody you're glad to see him. Like 14 people came up to me and I had a mini panic attack and like, I'm going to the first service from now on and I can avoid that moment. We're in the same spectrum. Like we're all in the same thing. But what, what I need you to understand is based off your human proclivities, we don't get a pass to just not be in fellowship regardless of if it's easy for you to make friends or it's hard for you to make friends or if you just wanna have two really good friends or you're that person who's like, I want 70 kind of okay friends. I wanna have a big old wide network. It doesn't matter. We don't get the pass here. Because Jesus says, the world will know you're mine and will come to know my love and the Father's love for them by the way you're one. And that's what he prayed for before he went to the cross. Now, let's talk about the cross for a second. Big question. Don't overthink it. Well, I'll show it. I'll get there. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Why did he go there? I know you got some reasons. Don't, don't have to, you don't have to shout them out. If you had to put it down to like two, two reasons why Jesus went to the cross, what would you say? You, you got some good ones. Y'all church folks, you, you're good. All right. If I had to summarize it of why Jesus went to the cross, I would put it as these two, to glorify God for the sake of others. To glorify God for the sake of others. Now, I'm gonna give you something that the more and more I've listened to preaching and the more and more I've worked in a church world, I think is very much a red flag. When you hear a gospel or you hear a message about Jesus or even what Jesus has done for you and you hear the message about what Jesus has done and it all centers on because he loves you so much, and, and he did all this because of his love for you. And it's all about you and how much he loves you. Friend, you're in danger. And I, and I would allow your, your radar to start being more sensitive to this stuff. I, I believe you're in danger of finding yourself under the teaching of a me-centered gospel that allows all of what Jesus has done to just be wrapped around this orbit that is how it affects you. And, and hear me, I don't, 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 don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying Jesus doesn't totally love you. And I'm not saying he didn't totally go to the cross for your love to, because he loves you so much. But it is negligent, extremely negligent 
to preach the gospel of Christ and to lead with Jesus did what he did because he loves you so much. Friend, the reason that Jesus did what he did was because he loves his father so much. The reason Jesus went to the cross, paid the price that he paid is because he longed to magnify and glorify his father. And in doing so, he magnified and glorified that father whose plan all along was to bring you in. And he did that for your sake because he loves you, but he does not love you. Do not get it twisted more than he loves his father. Don't put one in front of the other. That's the gospel. If you want to make some noise for that, you sure can. Um, if you're going to do it, go all the way. Um, <laughs> okay. So that's some good news about Jesus. We're going to get into some funny news or some concerning news about us in a second here. So if this is what Jesus did, he goes to the cross to glorify God for the sake of others. That's why Jesus does what he does. What does Jesus call us to do? Well, Jesus doesn't just call us to go to church. He doesn't just call us to tithe. He doesn't just call us to serve. He doesn't just call us to believe a certain set of things about him. He doesn't just call us to read the Bible. What Jesus actually tells us in the Bible, he says, if any person, anybody would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. I'll add one in. He must deny himself daily and follow me. Take up his cross daily and follow me. He goes as far as to say, if you want to save your life, you will lose it. If you lose your life for my sake, you will have assuredly found it. So, Jesus goes to a cross and then explicitly, there's no way working around this one, guys, tells us to take up our cross and to follow him. And that's not descriptive, that is prescriptive. The cross is a prescription for anybody who will call themselves a Christian. So he says, you got a cross too. I've got a cross too. If you're a Christian, you all have one. So, if that's what he says is what we have to do to carry a cross, well, then the question becomes for us, why? Why do I carry my cross? Why do I take up my cross daily? Why do you do that? Why do we do that? Well, if we're Christians, after all, maybe it should be these two things, right? Why do I take up my cross? Well, I take up my cross to glorify God. And most church people, they crush the understanding of this. Like they've got this down. I'm trying to glorify God. Well, I'm glorifying God. Well, I don't, go to the, I don't watch those movies because I'm glorifying God. I don't listen to that music because I glorify God. I, I show up at church every single week because I glorify God. We don't miss nothing for nothing because I glorify God. Yes, I'll be at that prayer night. And you told me to fast. Guess what? I'll do it two days because I want to glorify God. We got to glorify God down. But friend, if you have committed to live a life where you have taken up your cross, please do not just live half of the gospel call. Glorify God for the sake of others. For the sake of others. I don't glorify God so I feel good about how I worship God. I don't, I don't, I don't glorify God so I feel, I'm like, yeah, yeah, way to go, Trent. But let, I'm, pastoral honest moment here, guys. Like, I know that my call, my job is to glorify God with what I do. But when I look at my life, this is where this was so convicting to me this week. 
I, I dare I say like 90% of what I do or what I was doing, at least as far back as I could remember, was not really for the sake of others. It was for the sake of my hopes. It was for the sake of my dreams. It was for the sake of, of me feeling good about what was happening. It was for me making sure I managed my checklist and the things that I needed to get done, got done. And again, I felt good. You know why I felt good about that? Because I felt like it was glorifying God. You see how Satan can get you off? See how he can sell you a half gospel? And when you live in a very, and this is why Christian culture, or American Christian culture is so hard on this because everything is so me-centered. And, it, and this is why I think that me-centered gospel is, is probably one of the most dangerous things to our faith. We're, we're freaking out about gay marriage and all these other types of things. Well, how about a half gospel? That's probably worse than what new bill is getting passed. Understanding only half the gospel will send you straight to hell. Here's why I say this. If I live my life and all I care about is the good that I do to serve God and how that makes me a good Christian, I'm not like Christ who said, I'm magnifying God for the sake of others, for their sake, for, for, for what happens with them. Now, that's a lot. And I know that wasn't fun to hear. Okay, <laughs> so let's breathe in, let's breathe out. Let's just talk about coming to church for a second. When you showed up today, I hope, and again, I, I, this is a second, second service crowd. Um, if I went and I asked every single person here, why'd you show up here today? Again, you guys, I know, I know I'm looking around, I can see the people in the room. Most of y'all in the room would go, man, I showed up, I wanna glorify God. I wanna glorify God with my time. And if I press a little bit more, I say, okay, give me some more reasons. Why'd you come today? Why did you show up to a local church gathering? If I wanna glorify God and I wanted to hear a word, I wanted to hear some preaching that would challenge me or encourage me. Oh, I, I wanted to be able to sing, sing the songs. Oh, I, feel, I feel so much better when I start my week there. And listen, hear me, guys. Those are all great reasons. Why did Jesus go to the cross? To glorify God for the sake of others. So why should Christians do everything that Christians do? Everything that you, if you're in Christ, everything that you should do should be to glorify God for the sake of others. So let's talk about coming to church. When you got in your Toyota Camry and you came to church today, let's just be all real and honest. Did we go, I'm showing up today for the sake of others. I'm showing up today to glorify God with my time for the sake of other people. See, that's why people hit this passage in Hebrews, Hebrews you know, 10, 25. And it's like, well, don't forsake meeting together. You just show up, show up, show up, show up. Well, hear me, you can show up. And you can have a, just as much of a self-centered mindset and show up <laughs> as anybody else. You don't even have to be a Christian to be self-centered, amen? You can just be self-centered and show up. And this is what I'm trying to say, like the finish line, hear me, the finish line cannot be those doors. Those doors are those doors. The finish line is I showed up and I showed up for the sake of others. I don't care if the sermon you know, sharpened my pencil. I'm praying that it sharpened somebody else's. I don't care if they sang my favorite song or did all the music that I prefer. I, I showed up here for the sake of, I showed up here to glorify God. I showed up here for the sake of others. I'm looking for who I can encourage. I'm looking for who I can talk to. I'm looking for, for how I can serve this body of Christ because I don't do this thing that is fellowship for me. I do this because the God who so loved the world that he gave his life for me, I now understand that he did not just do that for me. He did that so I could be connected to them and he served me. So what else can I do but serve them? Live my life for the sake of others. 
And, and I'm hoping, man, that today, September uh, 10th, 2023, is the day where, where MCC begins to become a church that kind of puts this line in the sand and says, we are now going to be becoming a church that is defined by living our life, by showing up to our gatherings, whether it's Sunday morning, small groups, whatever it may be, as we meet throughout the, the week in the city, that we go, we show up. The reason we gather, the reason we scatter is to glorify God for the sake of others. And friend, what I believe will happen when you do that is the beauty of self-forgetfulness will begin to overflow your life and you will find more joy, more peace, more love, more patience, more rest for your soul than you ever found possible because you have taken the focus of your life off of you, placed it on God, and he has reflected that directly towards other people. That's what gospel fellowship is all about. So when God is inspiring the apostle Paul to talk about this body that we're a part of, that's the metaphor the Bible uses over and over again for what this church fellowship is. He talks about it as a body and Paul is writing to one of his churches in Corinth. They are crazy, man. Like think about our culture and then turn it up a dial. Like it was wild. Um, he's writing to the church in Corinth and is as if the Holy Spirit that's inspiring Paul to write this knows and understand that there are gonna be people in Corinth like there are people in McDonough who go, I really like Jesus and I'm good with Jesus, but I don't really feel like I have to do all this and connect and, and for the sake of other stuff. I, I like Jesus, I'm gonna connect with Jesus. I'm gonna pray to Jesus. I'm gonna you know, do some stuff with Jesus because I like Jesus, but I don't know if I need the whole other body and I don't need all that stuff. It's like Paul anticipated people talking about that. And he said these words. He's talking about the body. He says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, that, just close your eyes and imagine that. That sounds gross. Like think of me as an ear. That's just weird. Um, wax everywhere, hair and stuff. It's disgusting. If the whole body were an ear, I think that's what Paul was after. If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell but as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. So he has figured out, well, okay, this piece goes here, this piece goes here, and this is how they all fit and function together. Verse goes on. If all were a single member, where would the body be? It's not really a body, it's just a part, all right? It's just one big old ear, that's gross. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye, this is, this is where I really want you to lean in here. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Now, I know y'all are super saved and y'all never said, I don't need to go to that small group anymore. I don't need to go to church this Sunday. I don't need to go to that men's ministry thing. I don't need to go to that women's conference. I don't need, I know y'all never said anything like that. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need for you. See, what he's saying here is you're silly. If you, if you, can just, if you think you can just go, I don't need the ear, I've got the head. He's saying that's not church. And again, I think he would go back and if Paul was here preaching and teaching to us, he, I think he'd go back and go, you got half a gospel. You're self-centered. So, so the finish line again, is not show up and get here. Because the goal is not to just go like, don't hear what I'm not saying. The goal is not to just get here and okay, okay, well, the body all got together on Sunday, the end. No, I would say it like this. We don't just need your presence. We need your function. I, I, I don't need a paralyzed arm. I need an arm that does what an arm is supposed to do. And if you're an arm, I need, your arm to, I need you to arm up, all right? If you're a gallbladder, like gallbladder up, like, like, come on. Like we, we need you. If you're an ear, ear. 
what we don't need is just an ear that's there with no blood flowing to it, with no life that's not hearing, an ear that's clogged. The fast, if you are an ear, the fastest way for an ear to get clogged is go, I only need to hear from Jesus. I don't need to be connected to the body. That's dangerous. It's dangerous and it makes you useless to the people who you're supposed to be living life for the sake of. So we need not just your presence. It's not just about you showing up. It's about your function. Now, some of you don't have no idea what your function is. Well, now's the time to figure that out. Now's the time to enter into Christian fellowship. Now's the time to go, I'm gonna find a place to serve so that I can figure out what my function is. I can go meet new people. I can live my life for the sake of other people, whether that's serving in children's ministry, serving in a sound booth, serving up here on stage, singing, serving to welcome people in. None of that can be below me or beyond me if I am part of the body of Christ. It can't, and it shouldn't be. Now, the reason that this, man, the reason I felt like I had to take a left turn out of Hebrews and talk to you about this is because the more I look at this world, the more I'm convinced that things, that things are getting worse, like way worse. Do you know what year in our country? And again, before I go to the question, our country has been through a lot. In the last five years, it's been through a lot. You know, a recession, uh, COVID. But then if you go even further back, I mean, we've gone through world wars. We're going through wars that were catastrophic in the sense that there was no real winner or loser, but people just gave their lives with nothing really to show for it and nothing really that was a win or a loss. We've gone through great depressions, civil war. We've gone through a lot as a country. And a country that's supposedly, you know, one nation under God. In the midst of all that, do you know what year of our country was the year with the highest rate of suicide? 2023. Or no, sorry, two. The numbers aren't out for 2023 yet. 2022. The year for the highest rate of suicide is 2022. This past year. From 2011 to 2018, they went up 16%. 16%, the rate of suicide in our country increased 16% of people who are just going, this is too much for me. I can't do this. I'm out. And, and this isn't just like, a, oh, that's out there. That's like those, those bad people, they're facing that. The last night of prayer that we had, I'm, I'm not gonna break confidence, but I can tell you that conversations around self-harm, conversations around cutting, conversations around self-mutilization, mutilation, conversations around suicide, all happened that night. People praying that they had, it wasn't a matter of like, hey, I think this could happen to me. But they were going, no, this has happened to me. I need prayer. This is, this is in this room, there and there that we're praying for. This is, this is not an out there problem. This is an in here problem. My friends are pastors who, who, have, who have taken their own lives. So this is not out there stuff. It's an in here stuff. The stats from 2011 to 2018. 2018 was where we hit our, our, our most recent peak besides 2022 was 2018. That was the number that had the most. 
And again, that was an increase of 16%. So from 2011 to 2018, you have an increase of 16%. Now, here's some good news. I don't know how necessarily this happened, but from 2018 to 2019, it went down. In 2020, we went through a global pandemic and things, as far as our suicide rate in America actually is concerned, it actually went down. The phenomenon around that is that when catastrophic things like that happen, people tend to bind together. And for a brief period of time, we watch people just lock arms and try to care for each other and do some nice things for each other. We actually watch some unity take place during that really hard catastrophic time. Now, I think we are all here in 2022 and on into 2023, we are reeling with the effects of life post COVID and what that did to our hearts and our souls. And I believe that's why you saw 2019 go down, 2020 go down, 2021 go up and 22 hit an all time high. 49,500 people said, this is too much for me. There's no hope, there's no hope. And, and the reason I'm talking to you about this, it goes back to where I started last week. We live in a world that's full of more content than ever could be imagined, but so many people are desperately lonely. So many people have so few real, honest, heartfelt connections. And, and what I felt like the Holy Spirit was trying to show me through the midst of this, and the reason why I'm leaning into fellowship is I really do believe that we were created for each other. And I believe we have gotten so individualized. We've gotten so individualistic. We have just taught about how much Jesus loves me and not how much he loves we and how we can help each other love this Jesus more that we have missed out on what we can do and how we can serve and how we can live each other's lives for the sake of each other. And so what I see is I look at this fledgling church here in our country that has allowed the fire of fellowship to burn all but out. And so what I'm trying to do today, what I hope and I pray God does here through MCC is he rekindles this fire of fellowship in his church so that we begin to see the rates change, so that we begin to see lives altered. because something has to change. And I believe the change starts with us. It starts with realizing this truth. Oh, oh go back, somebody help me. Nope, not next steps. Yes, life is too much for you. Now I know some of y'all wanna deny that and you're Superman, you're Hulk, you're Lone Ranger, you, you got it all. And I'm, there's a lot of you in this room the article I read that gave me all these stats, one of the things at the very end of this, it said uh, the highest rate where there was an increase in a certain demographic was middle-aged white males. Highest spike in that demographic. I'm a pastor, so I love to ask why. I hang out with a lot of... <laughs> a decent amount of white middle-aged guys. Um, I guess I'm technically a white middle-aged guy. Um, I don't know, maybe I am, maybe I'm not, who knows. But the more I thought about and processed through, and I don't just think it's a white thing, I just think that's just the one that showed up the most. If you are a white middle-aged male or if you're any kind of middle-aged male, let me talk to you for a second. I know that the world you live in right now 
It's not allowed for you to be weak. You got to have it all together. You got to put it all together. You can't show no form of weakness. You can't show no, 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 no form of, of not being able to have it together because you were a sissy if you asked for help. You were a sissy if you said, I can't do this on my own and I need help. And you've been told to grin and bear it, grin and bear it, fake it till you make it, fake it till you make it for too long. And I think the reason why there was such a giant spike in that area was so many middle-aged males said, life is too much for me. And I can't tell, I would rather die than tell anybody that. That's heartbreaking. And, and, and hear me, I'm not just, this is not just a, a male specific thing, but I know, I know for the men in this, men of our faith family here, there's a lot of you probably felt this. My prayer today is that you would hear a wake up call. That you hear the voice of your heavenly father saying, this life is way too much for you. Tell somebody. This is why we have to have fellowship. It's because this life is too much for you. Give some to me. This life is too much for you. Give some to the people in your small group. This life is way too much for you. Give some to the usher. This life is way too much for you. Give some to one of our elders, please. This is what fellowship is about. It's like, brother, sister, you cannot carry this on your own. You were never meant to carry this on your own. You were never meant to just try to even just have a great relationship with Jesus by yourself. This life is too much for you. That's why koinonia means partnership. It means share. It means, brother, give me some of that mess. I'll take as much of that burden as I can because I know there's gonna be a few days right down the road where you're gonna have to take some of mine. Let's walk through this together. And again, this is, this is why the fire of fellowship has to get rekindled in the church or it's just gonna burn out completely. And the world is gonna steamroll us into irrelevance. So today, as we get ready to receive communion, um, can somebody bring me one? I completely forgot that. The second service in a row. Can somebody grab me one? Did I lose it? Oh, there it is. <laughs> Thank you, Barry. Uh, we're going we're gonna to take this, but we're going to take it a little bit different than maybe we have um, most Sundays. T- today, we're going to take it together. We're, we're going to put the styrofoam in our mouth at the same time and then, and then and then we're gonna to drink the juice at the same time a symbolic way of saying like Jesus yes you did this for me but you did not just do this for me the this wafer and this juice represents the whole price that was paid for you. So to us to just live as if we are unified to God is to only take advantage of half of what Jesus bought for us with his shed blood and with his broken down body. And it's high time that we take full advantage of what he paid for, not just reconciliation and unity between us and the heavenly father, but reconciliation and unity between us and each other. So today, after we receive communion, here's what we're gonna do. There's gonna be no song. Some of you are like, yeah, yeah, I'll leave during that one anyway. Stop. Um, 
what I'm gonna invite you to do is the first step, I believe, the little spark that hopefully will begin to rekindle the flame of fellowship here at McDonough Christian Church. I want you to go introduce yourself to somebody that you have not met, that you don't know. Now, listen, I saw, I watched this happen after um, first service and somebody kind of had to confess because they felt bad about it. It's somebody who they said hello to weeks. I'm talking like 20 weeks and they see them and they pass them and everything else. And they saw that person and they were like, I can't go introduce myself to them. Like I've had a conversation with them, but I still don't know their name. All right, get over it, let it happen. All right, if you're here today, you cannot get offended if anybody, even though you've been in a small group with them for a couple of years, if they ask you, <laughs> if they ask for your name today, okay? You cannot get mad at them. They, everybody get a free pass today, all right? Go and introduce yourself to somebody. Meet somebody new. Learn a name, all right? And here's your extra credit homework. Again, we, we serve Christ and we take up our cross. We go to uncomfortable things. Some of you, especially you introverts in the room, you're like, oh, gosh, I knew I should skip today. Uh, look, this is a, this is a mi- micro suffering. This is you d- d- dying to your flesh a little bit. Go meet somebody new. And then again, we do this to glorify God for the sake of others. So, so what that means is maybe next Sunday you go, I'm showing up. I'm not gonna neglect meeting together. I'm gonna show back up. And when you see so-and-so, you say, hey, Beth, it's so great to see you this day. How was your week? And you know what Beth will feel like? She will feel like she matters to you because you remember her name. And because she felt like she mattered to you, you know who she's gonna feel like she mattered to? God. That's what Christian fellowship is all about. On the night that Jesus was to be betrayed, he held up a piece of bread. He said, this is my body that's gonna be broken for you. And as that body was broken, It foreshadowed the coming of his body that would be all the way put back together, that could be unified in one. And as we taste and see the reminder of a broken body, I pray that you would beg Jesus to put his body back together. Taste and see the Lord is good. breaking the bread, he held up a cup of wine. And he said, this is my blood of the new covenant shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And we know because we have the entirety of the canon of God that it was not just for the forgiveness of sins, but it was also for the unification of sinners. Reconciled, not just back to the father, but reconciled back into fellowship with each other. Taste and see the blood shed for your forgiveness and our fellowship. Jesus, as we commune with you now, as we receive these elements, a reminder of the price that you paid, I pray that we're able to receive the fullness of that price and take full advantage of not just our reconciliation to you, but our reconciliation to each other. I pray for the names that are getting ready to be shared. I pray for the hands that are getting ready to be shook. I pray that you would do something here in these moments to, to so that somebody would be able to look back and say, man, September 10th, 2023 was the day I met so-and-so. And after I met so-and-so, my life was never the same in the best way possible. 
So do the things that only you can do by the power of your Holy Spirit, living, breathing, and acting through this alive body of Christ, your church here at McDonough. In your name, amen. Don't be shy.